welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. We are in a series called Present Future Church, and if you're new or you've been uh, drag, drug here because you have a child in your family that's dedicated, um, I apologize, it's not an hour service. We go about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes, so just wanting you to know that. Blame them later, make them pay for the meal that you have later to this evening. But hey, we're in a series called Present Future Church, and uh, this series came out of my study break where I had this question um, that I felt the Lord was asking me, um, which was about trust. But really, uh, I heard this idea, what kind of church do you want to give to your children? And I had this uh, moment where I was thinking about the church that I experienced and the church I want my boys. I have two boys, Ezra and Amos, five and two years old, and the two-year-old. Um, my nickname for him is Honey Badger. And um, <laughs> just figure that out later on YouTube. But he's cra- crazy. And I was thinking about the kind of church uh, I want them to experience. And, I, and then I felt like, what if we could build a church that our children don't have to heal from? And that's what this series is about. For me, it's a passion series about the kind of leadership we need and the kind of church we need to become. And so we've talked about various topics, but the core topics that I've addressed is, number one, is that what God is looking for in leaders are people who know how to stay hungry for his presence. That we need to be a church not marked by programs or purpose-driven anything, but a church that's marked by hungering for his presence. The second was a church that um, is pursuing holiness. That we see in our culture of Christianity, uh, a Christianity that looks a lot like culture. And what, what does it look like to be set apart? And what we talked about is learning to be useful. That holiness is about usefulness in the world. And so we're looking at people throughout history, whenever revival came, um, there, it was marked often by a pursuit of holiness in prayer for God's presence. So those things together. The third that I, I thought was really important, I, I think the Lord is looking for leadership, not just in the church, but all in his world, is humility. That the Lord is looking for leaders that know how to be humble. Because the way we are designed um, to use power or privilege or any resource we have accumulated um, through our hard work or that's been handed to us is to leverage that power, privilege, and resource for those that don't have it, um, to use it to empower. That's the model of Jesus, according to Philippians chapter 2. We've talked about house churches. We've talked about transforming culture. But the fourth characteristic that I think God is looking for in the church and leadership is probably one that you didn't see coming. And it's the one I'm most passionate about in this day and age. And it's health. I think the fourth characteristic God is looking for is for his church to be healthy. So we're going to talk about what that means today. But first, I need to make you aware of something that you probably don't know. We are in a health crisis. And uh, the statistics are staggering when we look at holistically what our culture is experiencing. I want to just list off some of these crises. First of all, um, depressed stress. We have all-time stress. We'll go through this rather quickly, Sarah. Um, most Americans are suffering from a moderate to high stress. 44% reporting that their stress levels have increased over the past five years, up to 49%. People are experiencing stress. Next one, depression. The number one drug um, uh, that's given, the most common drug prescribed uh, is antidepressants, and the second is anxiety medication, which is another issue that 20 million adults in the United States are diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. That's 40 million Americans. 20% 
of uh, adults. Stay here for a second because I want to talk about depression and anxiety. We're talking about mental illness. And um, it's an issue in the world that we see it. Suicide rates are at an all-time high in the United States and in the West. That uh, suicide in the United States has increased by 33% since 1999. And it's the second leading cause of death between 15 to 24-year-olds. Just pause for a moment. All of the technology... All of the myth of Western progress and growth and, and experience, all the self-help and enlightenment and education that we have and we give to the world. There is a generation right now that second leading cause of death is suicide. That anxiety and depression are common. And it's not just the world, it's the church. And that what the church has done terribly for so long is say, well, if you deal with anxiety, don't worry. It says in the Bible, meditate on that passage and have more faith or pray. Come forward and just get zapped by the Holy Spirit, which sometimes, yes, you get transformation of, of those things in prayer. And we will pray for those things. But it is an issue. And transformation uh, takes a lot of holistic things. And I'm going to talk about that later. But mental illness needs to be addressed. I'm passionate about this because of lots of reasons. There are friends of mine that have committed suicide that were 30-year-old pastors in the last 11 months, 12 months. And the weight of pastoral leadership, which we'll talk, is crippling, but the church has these unspoken, unrealistic expectations on leaders. And we're going to talk about that in one moment. But I'm so passionate about being a healthy church because my children will not see their daddy burn out. And I don't want any kids growing up in ministry to experience what some of these kids are experiencing now. And we, as the body, need to take responsibility. We're going to keep going, all right? So that it's not just suicide. We have issues of phys we're physically unhealthy. Now, I think this is attached to terrible eschatology. Now, for that's, a, that's a really clever theology word. It's the study of end times. I think our physical health is attached to, obviously, lack of self-control, the American diet, but also our view that one day we're going to get zapped out and raptured out of here and we'll get a new body. Not recognizing that the call is to steward our physical space, to take care of our planet, to eat well, because that matters. That We'll talk about this. Your body is just as spiritual as your spirit. So physical, I just, I thought these statistics were interesting. Less than 5% of adults participate in 30 minutes of physical activity. Now, if you have a child, that can't be true because you are running nonstop. I'm just going to say, only one in three adults receive the recommended amount of physical activity each week. A uh, recent report says by 2030, half of the United States adults will be obese. Next slide. Um, we are digitally distracted. I found this to be haunting. Children now spend more than seven and a half hours a day in front of a screen. Does anyone else think that's nuts? But we're all doing it, aren't we? Because we talk about, oh, the kids, they're, yeah, they shouldn't, but we're unrestricted access on our phones. Next one. We are dealing with loneliness in a crisis where loneliness affects our physical health. They're saying it increases inflammation, it increases anxiety and stress, and it causes depression. And so it's just a cycle, but 40% of the Western world is, is considered lonely. And we have a crisis. Now I wanna talk about 
the crisis um, that's in the world, but the crisis is also in the church. So if you think about this for one moment, I wanna show you statistics, and I'm not showing you this so you can be empathetic towards me. I'm showing you this because you need to see that there's a correlation. If the church is designed to reflect the life of God to the world, these stats are horrible because the spiritual leaders of the church are dealing with this. I'm just gonna read them quickly. 70% of pastors report being extremely stressed or highly stressed. 90% of pastors work 50, between 50, 55 to 75 hours a week. 90% feel fatigue and worn out every single week. 78% were forced to resign from their church. 63% at least twice and most of the time because of church conflict. Like, it's crazy that pastors are in the top nine most stressful jobs in the, US, in, the, in the world, and it's next to like ER doctors, firefighters, and mayors of cities. 80% will not be, in, eight out of 10 pastors will not be in ministry past 10 years. On average, a seminary trained pastor, thank God it wasn't seminary trained, lasts only five years <laughs> in church ministry. 91% have experienced burnout. Go to the next one. 70% 70, 70 of pastors say they have a lower self-esteem now than when they entered ministry. 70% constantly fight depression. This week, I went to a commodity coffee shop, and there's a pastor in our city who I know. He walked up to me, hey, do you have a second? Yeah, what's up? I don't know who to talk to about this. You're a lead pastor. I'm a lead pastor. I've been struggling with depression for six months. Why aren't you talk why can't he talk about it? And then he tells me the story of his congregation and what he's going through. My heart broke and it just solidified why we need to talk about this. 80% believe their pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. 33% said it was outright hazardous. 80% of ministry spouses feel left out and unappreciated. 77% feel like they do not have a good marriage. 70% do not have someone to cons they consider a close friend. 72% only read the Bible and they're preparing sermons and lessons. So we have a crisis. If the world's suffering with a health crisis and the people that are leading the church are struggling with a health, health crisis, what are we to do? And I bring these up because I want you to know that I, I have burnt out. I, and I got a sabbatical and I've dealt with depression and anxiety. I dealt with stomach issues that caused me to go to the doctor and get treated for things, things that you don't, you're not supposed to do until you're like 60 something. I did them in my 20s because of the pressure of ministry and the unhealth. The church is not healthy then. That if it's killing pastors, and now it's, I am not, it's, it, there's, there's, a, a, there's a part of it because I was talking to Pastor Bill about this. What is going on in our society that, that that's happening right now? What's going on in the church world where that's happening? We need to address the factors. So I bring this to you as a challenge to who will, we will become as a church in the future. We have to steward our health. We have to honor our leaders and respect the boundaries that's required. We need to help them with their boundaries. If it wasn't for Pastor Bill or Don Williams, my mentors, I would not be in ministry today. We, I would probably not be still married. By the grace of God and by counsel and by friends and a leadership team like our elders and board saying you need to take days off, you need to disappoint the church, who cares if they leave? If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be here. 
And so I want to let you know right now, if you're new to our church, I'll probably disappoint you. I'm doing it on purpose <laughs> because I don't want to dis- disappoint my family. And I just decided, no, this is just me off notes because I don't have any right now. Um, you know, if you look at revivals, it's crazy. We, we love John Wesley. I love John Wesley. He's a hero of mine. He didn't see his family very often. He didn't have a relationship with his wife except through letters. You look at the Hebrides in Scotland, there's stories about the revival that happened and you know what happened to those pastors? Some of them went literally insane. The leaders of the revival in Scotland went crazy. And so I got to thinking, if we want revival, do I really want revival? (laughs) Unless the future move of God is sustainable for families. It's not seven nights a week out because God is requiring that of you when you have families at home that you need to feed and make sure you're there for nap time and you put them down and read them the story and you're not rushed doing the ministry of God. Is that not crazy to anyone else? So I want to offer you uh, some things. But let's go to this slide. So I want to talk about um, the need for a healthy church. We need to become healthy. Next slide, please. So the world needs a healthy church. John chapter 10, 10 says this. Um, and if you go to the gospel of John, this is one of the mission statements in the gospel of John. This is the purpose of why Jesus comes. In John chapter 10, he says, um, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus says, look, there's an enemy in the world and later on John will say that the enemy comes, um, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus says that the point of the enemy is to take away your life and and, uh, diminish your life. Jesus comes to bring life, real life. And the word he uses for full is this word for extraordinary, beyond, abundant, beyond the regular measure. Jesus comes to bring you more life. And the problem with this statement is what we've done to it is we've spiritualized this statement to mean what happens when we die. He comes to give us life after death. No, he comes to give us life before life after death. This is the mission of Jesus that actually he wants you to live the way you were intended to live in the first place. And that's so important. So he comes to bring life. And uh, the same author, John, writes in an epistle in First John, or I'm sorry, Third John. So one of the letters to the church says this, and he's writing to one of the elders or his friend, Gaius. He says, the, uh, it says the elder, he's referring to himself, to my dear, friends, my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Listen to what he says. This is the uh, apostle John. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you. Or a Greek translation is prosper. Your good health, your health would prosper. Even as your soul is getting along well, or even as your soul prospers. And then he goes on, it says, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth. Telling how you continue to walk in it. Walk in what? Walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So he says to his friend, he prays that his health would be good and prosper and that his soul would be good and prosper. And the word for soul in the Greek is where we get psyche. And and it's kind of a hard word to translate, but it's like the inner life, spiritual life, that your physical and your spiritual life would prosper. 
That sounds like John 10, 10, that you would have abundant life. And how does he know he's prospering? And there's some clues to the gospel of John, but what he says is that he knows that his soul is prospering because he believes or he's faithful to the truth and he's walking out the truth. Now that is the secret to a good life. Is anyone here longing for the life of Jesus? Like I was just thinking burnout, anxiety, depression, pain, exhaustion, broken relationships, loneliness. Like we're Christian, we believe in Jesus, we even read scripture, we might even be in a house church and we're here every week, maybe even leading on the stage, but we long for peace and joy and freedom and the life. We want that abundant life. Does anyone else want to amen this with me? Where's the disconnect? I burnt out in ministry leading this church because of that same disconnect. I burnt out because I thought you could sell the truth of Jesus without walking it out. There's a passage in John chapter 14, it says this, and I think this is the, where uh, the, the, the disconnect comes in. Jesus is asked uh, by my favorite disciple, Thomas, who just doesn't have a clue, right? He's like, I'm going to the Father, blah, blah, blah. You'll know where to go. And he's like, wait, 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 wait. I don't know where you're going. Tell me, where, where, how do I get there? And Jesus says, oh my gosh, have you not been listening? On, uh, he says, no, he, and thank God for Thomas because we know now. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes this declarative statement that salvation and faith and life is found in him and that he is the truth and that he is the way. Eugene Peterson says this. He says this about this quote. The Jesus way wedded to the Jesus truth brings about the Jesus life. We can't proclaim the Jesus truth but then do it any old way we like, nor can we follow the Jesus way without speaking the Jesus truth. And check this out. He goes, we can't gather a God-fearing, God-worshiping congregation by cultivating a consumer-pleasing, commodity-oriented congregation. When we do, the wheels fall off, and they are falling off. We can't suppress the Jesus way in order to sell the Jesus truth. The Jesus way and the Jesus truth must be congruent. Only when the Jesus way is organically joined with the Jesus truth do we get the Jesus life. Now, now you probably need to reread this. Now, if you have that garden app, I forgot to tell you this, this might've been helpful. I asked this morning if Pastor Michael would put these notes on the app. So open your app and all the notes are there for you. And when I, you'll, you'll want them in a couple of minutes when I get to soul care um, as I check my watch. So what, what is he saying here? What is Eugene getting at? What is Jesus saying by saying I'm the way, the truth, and the life? What he's saying is simply this, what we all feel and experience. That we know the right things about God, but we lack the life he promises. Why? 
Because if you want the life of Jesus, you can't just add the truths of Jesus onto your life thinking that you can go on living like every day, every, every day the same way. You have to reconstruct the way you live around the lifestyle of Jesus. Now that opposes the American way of life. And so the culture of America that we're all formed and shaped by, that is telling us more is better, famous, faster, bigger is the way, Jesus is actually going, no, slow down, rest, enjoy. Not intensity, joyfulness. Not striving, receiving life. Stillness. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. We gotta make our key, we gotta earn it, we gotta own it. And what we wanna do is we wanna package and make the truth of Jesus tweetable and have a YouTube channel to make it tweetable and then our lives become a parody of the truth we sell because we don't look like Jesus. And this is what happened to me. I was more angry, more bitter, more anxious, more depressed, more insecure, using escapist behavior, behaviors, uh, bickering and fighting and blaming my wife for everything. That literally still is my normal excuse. Genesis chapter three, this woman you gave me, it's her fault. <laughs> and night, like, I think I told you this, I'm in, I'm in this therapy with her right now and it's been so healing and so amazing. And I, one of these sessions, I didn't ask permission, can I talk about that moment where I'm, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> where I was like, she, the, our therapist was like, hey, how's, how's it going? I'm like, dude, things are amazing right now. Like things have changed and uh, this is going on and this is going on, I've seen, I've seen this. And I'm like, gosh, I, it's like a whole new world. And, he, and he's like, wow, that's amazing. How about you, Alex, what do you see? He's, she goes, I'm not doing anything different. It's all him, and I was like, and then I was like, wait, no, you, but she, but you had, yeah, it's all me. I, apparently our marriage is so much better. She's a good woman. So I have this, this experience where I burnt out and I realized I had to re, uh, read the gospels again and follow the way of Jesus and that saved, saved me. Um, I had to, to let a lot of things die that the church fed me and reconstruct my understanding of church around the way of Jesus. So if you want the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And so I just encourage you, look at the lifestyle of Jesus and look at your life and say, wow, where, where are we on these things? Simplicity, prayer, rest, Sabbath, um, living in community, discipleship, uh, hospitality, food with friends, uh, like the list, hanging out with sinners and hanging out with religious burnouts and, and Pharisees. I mean, everyone was attracted to Jesus. What made that life so compelling? It was, it's just fascinating when you look at it, but if you want the life of Jesus, you need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You can't have Jesus' life without marrying the Jesus way and the truth. Go to the next slide. So the world needs a healthy church. And what do I mean by healthy? I mean transformation. That if we wanna become whole people, we need to tr experience total renovation of our soul. 
So I wanna talk about soul care, and this is gonna get really practical, and I'm gonna go fast to get us out on time. But this is gonna be a longer discussion, and most of these notes are stolen from Dallas Willard's Renovation of the Heart, which every person should read, and Bill Doctrum, who studied under Dallas, and he's a teaching pastor here. And these are literally his notes that I made look cool because, or actually Michael made look cool because of graphic design. So you, first of all, what you need to know is this. You are a soul, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You are a soul, you don't have a soul. What do I mean by that? That uh, we live in this Western context that, is, that has divorced the material and the spiritual, but Hebrew scriptures and our scriptures say that you are uh, a soul. So you are primarily physical and spiritual, that both are part of your soul. And so the soul is made up of five dimensions, primarily. And I wanna just give you this as a way to think of health. So you are a soul. So you are physical, you are social being, you are an intellectual being, you are an emotional being, and you are a spiritual being. So you are physical, social, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. That's what I mean by soul. So when we talk about how do we be healthy, I'm not just talking about, all right, guys, you gotta get on the keto diet and do CrossFit or run a half marathon or full marathon on October 13th. Thank you for all 60 of you that are continuing on because a lot of you fell out. I know who you are. I'm not gonna name names, but I, I did write them down. So no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that again. Um, <laughs> so you are a soul. So I wanna talk about how do we care for our souls? Check this out. So I'm gonna go through and give you some ideas. So when Jesus says um, the greatest commandments are this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, which is your emotional and, um, and your inner mind capacities and your soul which would be the Greek word for uh, your, your spirit and inner man and your mind. Um, he's talking about the, the whole soul. So he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Other scriptures say, and your strength or mightness. So with all of your energies and atoms, love God with everything that is you. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So when we think about the greatest commandments, we have to think about what it means to steward who we are. So you are a soul and you are called to steward your soul. And when we become more fully like Jesus, we become more fully ourselves. And the way to become fully like Jesus is not just simply to memorize scripture, although that is important, but it's to live the way of Jesus in its entirety with our whole self. So go to the next slide. Um, so I wanna talk through what it looks like to practice soul care. And I think this is revolutionary for us because I want you to see it as this is what we're inviting you into as a person to practice caring for your soul. So we're gonna go through each of these quickly. Um, go to the next one. It says this. So I wanna give you symptoms of physical unhealth. So here are the symptoms of physical unhealth. So if anyone here is suffering from these things, I wanna show you how your physical body, which is part of the five dimensions of your soul, uh, plays into your overall health. There's physical illness, that we talk about Crohn's disease, that you, are, you can't help that. You have, some of you have physical limitations. Um, uh, you have sickness, ulcers. I was dealing with bleeding in my stomach and intestines because I was stressed. That's, that's physical unhealth, would you agree? But it's also emotional unhealth, which we'll talk about. Exhaustion, um, food issues. Some of us struggle with comfort foods. Actually, most of us struggle with comfort foods, especially on Sunday afternoons. Um, some of us want just to comfort. When we feel emotional, we comfort ourselves physically. 
uh, we, we overeat and undereat. Remember, we're called to steward our soul and your body is a gift from the Lord and your job is to steward it. I'm not, I'm not talking about you have to go on a diet to get smaller. I'm talking actually about what you eat, how you treat your body matters. Can I get an amen? We deal with caffeine addictions. We misuse our body. We idolize our bodies. And there's sexual immorality. So when we talk about there's symptoms of physical unhealth, these are all symptoms. So what does soul care look like if you're primarily a physical person? We're all physical, but there are, each of us have one or two windows primarily into soul care. For me, it's physical. For others of you, it might be emotional care. It might be the primary way you connect with God and experience healing. Or it might be uh, your intellect and your mind, which we'll talk about all of those in a second. So I wanna invite you to practice stewarding your physical health. And, and here's what you can do. Learn to love and honor your physical reality. Church, we have to honor our physical reality. Some of us are plus size. Some of us are a little skinny. Some of us are short. Some of us are tall. Some of us uh, have aged and we can't physically perform the way we used to. Some of us are young and have plenty of energy. Some of us have uh, physical pain in our bodies. We have to learn to accept and honor that. That's the beginning of physical health. Does that make sense? If you have any questions about this, just ask Pastor Bill. He'll be happy to elaborate on all this. Second, how do we care for our bodies, our physical selves? Rest, sleep. Sabbath, exercise. My wife and I have this agreement. Of, she knows that for me to be healthy, I have to, I have to run or work out three to four times a week. I call it soul care in my calendar because that is the primary window into caring for my soul. It's through the physical. I, like for me, if you're like, Darren, go on a six-hour prayer silent retreat or go on like a two-hour run, I'll get more out of a two-hour run with God than a six-hour silent retreat. That's just how I'm wired. And I've learned not to shame that part of my soul, but to honor it. Actually, Bill has done a really, really good job of helping me with that. But exercise and diet. When I say diet, I mean this. Look, I don't know if you know this, but food is not neutral. There's no neutral food in the world, okay? It either is making you healthy or unhealthy. And I'm sorry to say that. Just read. There's lots of research on this. Potato chips, not necessarily healthy. No matter how you put it, french fries, even if they're a potato and you can have a potato, not necessarily the most healthiest thing. I'm not saying don't eat unhealthy things. I'm saying live a moderate lifestyle because I deal with things, people that are dealing with anxiety and panic attacks all the time. And I'm like, hey, how's your diet? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you resting? Are you stressed? And they want medication and you need medication sometimes. I'm not saying that. But a lot of the work is actually done in the physical first to deal with the emotional. Does that make sense? So receive the gift of pleasure. I mean, marriages, this is a really, and I don't want to push this, but like a healthy sex life is a really good thing. That's God's gift to his, his creation. But also pleasures in every area, taste, touch, sight, sound. What are the other ones? No. Smell. These are all, thank you so much. I should know that. <laughs> it's not in my notes. <laughs> We should learn the gift. We should be able to be a physical being and enjoy those things. I remember talking with a spiritual mentor who talked about how uh, he was learning that Jesus liked a certain smell of a certain flower. I was like, wow, that is like so like sage-like of you to be in this intimate space 
where you're talking about the smell of flowers with Jesus. So cool. <laughs> Lastly, pace yourself. Life is a marathon, not a sprint. And um, if there's anything we need to learn, it's the gift of limits and slowing down. We are at a frantic, accelerated pace. So I want to invite you to steward your physical bodies. I'm going to go through the rest quickly. Um, Symptoms of social unhealth. Isolation, alienation, no deep friendships, manipulation of relationships, performance-based relationships, social unhealth. uh, You're trapped in unforgiveness and bitterness. Just to list a few. (laughs) You're like, I scored eight out of seven right there. I don't know how that's possible. No. So ways that we can steward our social health. Um, By the way, all of the stuff I'm talking about, most of it you can, in the Emotional Healthy Spirituality and Emotionally Healthy Relationships course that we offer now, um, there are real practical ways for all these things. But self-differentiation and boundaries. One thing that we need to learn as a church is healthy boundaries. That... Uh, when you put all of your expectations on me because you had a pastor who did that, did that for you in the past, you need to recognize you're crossing my boundary. I can't meet all of your needs. I'm sorry, neither can Pastor John or Pastor Faith. Um, we're here with a mission to teach you how to die well and serve Jesus to the ends of the earth. And it's, it's, we're not gonna be perfect. But when you do that to others or when others do that, to some of you need to recognize that some of people are crossing boundaries and you don't know that they're crossing boundaries because you have no boundaries. So you need some healthy boundaries because you're codependent or you're broken by trying to please everyone around you. And that's gonna create a shell of a human over time. I don't have time to go on that. Again, research boundaries. uh, There's some great books on there. You gotta learn your love languages, positive self-regard, unselfconsciousness. So as you learn to walk into a room, you're not thinking, what are people thinking of me? Walking in and going, God, what are you up to here? We learn that. You should have deep friendships. Some of you are praying for deep friendships. Um, Deep friendships, people that know your secrets and still walk with you and love you. Um, And who are unimpressed with your resume. I have friends that keep me humble and down to earth. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, I have a wife who does that really well. I remember preaching to 15,000 people. I was the main speaker in London last year. I come off of this high, hundreds of people getting healed. Ah, I come into the cabin with our kids. She's like, hey, can you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for Ezra? He's hungry. <laughs> How'd it go? It was, it was really, okay, I gotta, I gotta go. And she's like, here's the baby. See you later. <laughs> that will ground a human being. Unimpressed. Mutual loving relationships and int- intimacy. And some of you are introverts and you need the discipline of community. All right, let's keep going. All these will be available online. They're going to be available on the app. You can look at it, and then um, we'll keep talking through. I'm thinking what we'll do is a, a mini-series where we'll go through each of these, if that's okay. Um, it coming in the next couple of weeks, we'll start something through. Uh, and then I, what I'm also thinking is we'll go through the book of John in the new year, but we'll talk about that later. Symptoms of intellectual unhealth, uh, inability to concentrate, lack of creativity, lack of focus, intellectualized, intellectual laziness. That's a thing. Some of you have brilliant minds and imaginations and you're creative and you're checking out through the power of your phone and, and Netflix and Amazon Prime and all the other things. There's a laziness to it. Hiding, cynicism, cynicism 
um, or judgmentalism. Mental escapist habits include social media and binge watching. Also ways that your mind is unhealthy is lust and envy. Go to the next one. So ways to steward your intellectual health, reflective observation and response. So learn to practice uh, reflective self-observation without judging yourself. For all my intellectuals, you're giving me amen in your head. I know it. Because you're probably the one that are, are most critical. And, and it's not critical, not in a negative sense, but you actually see the details and those details matter. And when you apply it to circumstances in your marriage or in your own life, there's a lot of uh, shaming that you do to yourself and a lot of negativity that comes through that, uh, that critical mind that is a gift from God. So learn to be reflective without judgment. Uh, the discipline of journaling, I think that's a discipline that uh, intellectuals need, just a, a process every day of processing what's going on. Train your mind, these can go in. Training the mind in reading, philosophy, and discussion. Uh, uh, something comes alive when I get to have intellectual discussion. I, I, I've engaged, I love the mind. Some of you love deep conversations. That is a gift in a way that you can connect with God and others. Learn to read and listen. Let uh, learning be a lifelong discipline. Um, learn a mind cleansing hobby. Learn, so how many of you would say intellect is your primary window into connecting with God? We just raise your hand. So mind cleansing hobbies would be things like meditation, um, things like journaling, but learn how to like release your mind um, from the things that you carry. And, and so like if I come home after writing a sermon on Thursday, uh, it takes me often like an hour to actually be present with my family. Does anyone else know what I'm talking about? So learning a hobby or having something that allows you to release the mind from being constantly on the go, that's a way to, to create health with your mind. Emotional, let's talk about the emotional symptoms of unhealth. Is this okay? I'm gonna close in just a second, I promise. It, I just don't, I don't usually do stuff like this. If you're new, this is not like my cup, cup of tea. This is, this is Bill. I don't even drink tea, so there you go. This is not my pour over coffee. So here we go. <laughs> Emotional unhealth, no pleasure in small things. Burnt out emotionally. There's a moodiness and anger, escapist behaviors, a weariness, and a paralysis to act or make decisions. You're cold to others. Um, so ways that you can steward your emotional health. And I just want to say emotionally healthy spirituality uh, takes the cake on, on how to learn and steward this. But number one, validate and stretch your expression of feelings. Learn the vocabulary of your emotions and feelings. Um, this is something that Bill helped me along the way because I didn't really understand emotions until I was like 20-something walking with a spiritual director. And he helped me learn to identify emotions because my, my family upbringing didn't do that. I just always felt overwhelmed. He's like, Darren, what you're feeling is sadness. And I was like, it is, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> And then it was like, and then oh, that's anger. What, so that's secondary. What's under a frustration? You feel small, like I, I, all these things. And so learning the vocabulary of emotions. You can be a very strong masculine man who's very emotional. It's like Jesus. Yeah, we should applause it. Because what we've done is we've emasculated men but men also have this picture of this masculinity that's not even close to Jesus. It's Braveheart. <laughs> Freedom! You know, and like Jesus walks in and he weeps. Son of God. Laugh a lot. Practice the discipline of wonder and beauty. If your emotions are the way, put on the music. Go to that concert. 
Go to the museum. Be eclipsed by the wonder of creativity. That will connect deeply with your soul. Go to emotionally healthy spirituality and relationships. The last one is this spiritual unhealth. Dryness, spiritual addiction, hyper-spirituality, judgmental, spirituality by comparison. I read more Bible than you. It's not healthy. Judgmental, Pharisaism. I mean, this, this is the older brother problem, right, of the church. Like, we just become old. The moment we get an inch ahead with Jesus, we start judging everyone else. Ah. Oh. So if you find yourself in the spirit, the hyper spirituality, like, like if you're the kind of person that needs another hit of Jesus by going to some massive show, like uh, by show I mean church, um, you're missing like healthy spirituality. You gotta learn to walk with him in the valleys and in the mountaintops. But how do you learn to be loved for no good reason? Most important thing you can do for your spiritual journey is learn to be loved for no good reason. That God loves you as you are and not as you should be. That is the source of all great spiritual life that you could have. Second, non-productive spirituality. Learn to have a spirituality that is non-productive. Sit with one passage of scripture, one word from one verse for a season and just see what happens. But I gotta get the Bible in a year and I gotta write my journal and I gotta do the prayer app or whatever it is. No, like learn, have, which goes to the next, like develop a healthy spirituality that is loose and flexible and fluid and responsive. Learn prayer as relationship and hear God's voice. And what do I mean by that? I think that's such a gift because when we put boxes on this is what healthy spirituality looks like, it's not fair because healthy spirituality looks different for every single person because there's never been a you before. And God wants to walk and talk and love and be in relationship with you, not a copy of Francis Chan or Bill Johnson or somebody else. He wants you in where you are. If you're a mom of little kids and you don't have time to read the Bible, go to the park and say thanks to Jesus. Invite him into the diapers being changed. And when you change it and he doesn't cry or spit or hit or pull your hair or bite or whatever it is that your two-year-old's doing, bless the Lord, oh my soul because you were designed to be a whole person and anxiety matters and what you eat matters and your spirituality matters and and what you think about matters and what you watch and what you hear and what you allow in because you are a soul and you are called to steward that soul so how are you going to steward your soul how will you ensure that the previous generations or sorry the next generations to come won't have statistics if they go into ministry like that that won't have a world. What if the greatest opportunity for evangelism that we have as a church is that we are just healthy? I wanna go to that church because they, they know rhythms of rest and work life. They're very productive, but they're having fun. They're not super burnt out. They love each other well. They, have heart, they deal with conflict well. They forgive. There's no bitterness in that church. There's peace in that church. There's gentleness in that church. There's self-control in that church. There's joy in that church. There's love in that church. There's forbearance in that church. They suffer together well. What if perhaps the fruit of the Spirit is the most evangelistic thing we can give the world? That's you and Jesus' business right now. So let's stand. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.